Revelation chapter 1, we'll start there in verse 3, so I can, I, I can promise you one thing this morning, you will get a blessing. It won't be, not, not nothing because of me or anything I'm going to say, but because this verse 3 is going to tell you, you will get a blessing this morning, because you're going to be reading out of the book of Revelation. See verse 3 there, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at Hand. You're going to get a blessing because you just read that right there. This is the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing. And what I'm going to do is last Sunday I was preaching on the, the priesthood of believers. How every believer in here that's a believer in Jesus Christ is a priest unto God. And who's our high priest? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the high priest. We're a priest. So that, what does that mean? That means simply that as being a priesthood of, the, priesthood of believers, as a priest unto God... You don't have to go to some priest to ask him to forgive you your sins. You don't have any mediator between you and God. You, you're the ones that conduct the sacrifice. You're the one that goes to God personally, goes to God through Jesus Christ, and that your body is a temple, and you're supposed to be trying to keep that temple clean. So that's the whole, uh, the whole basically, summation of the priesthood of believers. So now this morning, I'm going to talk about the kingship of believers. Everybody under here, and they sound my voice, that's a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Not only are they priests unto God, but they're kings unto God. We're going to talk about this kingship. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. You're, you, the Lord loved you and he washed you and he did all that through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's how he does it. He loved us and he washed us from our sins. So your sins are washed. But here, look at verse 6. And what has he done now? And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So right there, you've been made a king and a priest. Now I touched on priesthood last Sunday. This morning I'm going to talk about the kingship. How everybody in this room that's a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you're a king in waiting, you're a king unto God. Look at chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. Let me show you one more set of verses. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Now this is, everybody's up in heaven. This is after the rapture. They're all around the throne of God and they sing a new song. Verse 9. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. They sing a new song. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy. Talking about Jesus Christ. Thou art worthy to take the book. And open the seals thereof. For thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. We're redeemed to God not by baptism, not by our works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. It don't matter what color your skin is, what, what part of the world you're living in. Jesus Christ died for you and through his blood he can wash you of your sins. He loves you. He's, he can wash you of your sins and he can redeem you. All that's right there in this, those few verses I read. Therefore, verse 10, therefore, verse 10, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you humbly, Lord, and 
Father, I pray, Lord God, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will move, Lord God, that it will be your words being preached, not mine, Father. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. I want Jesus Christ glorified. I want him glorified in every way and lifted up, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, a blessing on these people that came out this morning, Lord God. And uh, Father, they could be staying at home, Lord, but they wanted to come in and hear your word, Lord. I pray, Father, you would honor that, Lord. Write them in your book of remembrance, Father. But Lord, help us to understand this kingship, Lord. And Lord, help us to understand how we should conduct ourselves and walk. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, guys, this is going to be as much a teaching this morning as a preaching. So a lot of this is a teaching. So I'm going to go through some verses. And I encourage you, if you have your Bible, open it up and, and try to follow along with me because I'm going to be reading some different sets of Scripture. But it's going to, like I said, it's going to be more of a teaching than a preaching. But notice at the end of verse 10, it says, And we shall reign, not in heaven, on the earth. That's referring to the millennial kingdom. What's the millennial kingdom? After the rapture, after the, see those seven seals that are talked about there in verses 9, those seals get opened up. Those are seven seals. God's going to pour his wrath out on mankind. So what happens? Jesus Christ comes back to the top of the airs. He raptures out his church. Uh, Sister Colleen's laying in a grave, she'll come up. If I'm in a grave, I'll come up. If you're alive, you'll be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. At the rapture, the body will come up. You're, that soul that's with Jesus Christ right now, it gets put into that new body. We go up to be with Jesus Christ forevermore. Amen. Then the judgment seat of Christ takes place. We're judged for our works here in, up in heaven. And at that time, the tribulation period takes place. That's Revelation chapter 5. The seven seals are opened up. That's the Antichrist. That's war. That's famine. And then you have the seven, uh, seven uh, trumpets are blown. And then you have the seven vials are poured out. So you have all this wrath of God being poured out on man. It's called the seven-year tribulation period where the Antichrist is ruling and reigning and he's making people take the mark of the beast. While all that's going on down on the earth, we're up in heaven. We're singing a song like that in verses 9 and 10. We're singing that song right there, and we're being judged at the judgment seat of Christ, not for salvation, but for our works. And then the Bible says there's a marriage supper of the Lamb takes place where we're, we're married unto Christ. There's a big feast that takes place up in heaven, and after that, Christ gets on his white horse, Revelation 19, and oh, here he comes. Battle Armageddon takes place. We follow Christ. The battle Armageddon takes place. Christ wipes them out. It's a total, complete destruction. He goes, sits on the Mount Olives. That mountain splits. He walks down on his white stallion. He comes into Jerusalem through that eastern gate. And he sits on the throne of his, David, of his father David. And there he'll rule the world for a thousand years. Now, knowing all that, what happens is we will rule and reign with him as priests and kings. And that's what that says. And has made, uh, made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen. Now, Revelation chapter 20, what I was just talking about, Revelation 19. Revelation 20 talks about, talks about this, about uh, Jesus Christ and, uh, and him ruling and reigning for a thousand years. At the end of verse 4, it says, And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 6, Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such a second death hath no power. But they, the ones that are part of the first resurrection, those are part of the rapture. They shall be priests unto God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. There it is. I'm not just popping off. That's what the Bible teaches. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's the kingship of believers. That's the kingship of believers. 
We got a priesthood of believers. Now it's a kingship of believers. Now we're priests and kings unto God. Jesus Christ is ruling this world for a thousand years. This world regenerates. It becomes like a garden of Eden. We have this mural behind, behind me where it has Jesus Christ and the lamb and the lion laying together. That's exactly what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. That's a good interpretation. The woman that painted that, I seen her again yesterday at the funeral. God bless Linda. She's such a sweet lady. And I was telling her, man, people come into this church and they see that mural and they, they ask about it all the time. All these years later, it's still back there. And that's a painting of the millennial kingdom. That's basically what you're looking at behind me. So as that millennial kingdom's taking place, God, through Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ is ruling on that throne. He has us ruling, helping him rule this world. Can, can I explain all of that? Not really. I mean, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that there's going to be some Christians that's going to rule and reign with Christ. Now, let me point out something. You'll have a new body likened unto Christ. That's the first thing. You won't have this body you're living in now. We'll have a new body. Number two, we're going to have the mind of Christ. So you won't, you know, you, you know that you say, I know some Christians that are pretty stupid, Brother Keegan. Well, I do too. But we'll all have the mind of Christ. So we'll have that mind. Now, I explain that. I, don't, I can't 100% explain it. But your mind's going to be good. Your body's going to be good. Everything's going to be good. That's what I believe. Now turn to Galatians chapter 4. Now this is where it's going to turn into kind of a Bible study. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians is, uh, if you can find 1st, 2nd Corinthians, you're going to find Galatians to the right. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to look at what this kingship means to every born-again believer. Every believer is a son of a king. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to find out some truths about this kingship. And the first great truth of this kingship is something that people don't get. We're going to look at this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. So we're all adopted into the family of God. Verse 6, Because ye are sons, God had sent forth the Spirit, capital S, of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's why when you become a born-again believer, now you pray to God as Father. You say, Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Father, He's our Father. Verse 7, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son then an heir of God through Christ. So you are an heir of a kingdom. Amen. You're an heir of a kingdom. The reason why people read the first of this Bible, they go through the first of the Bible, and it's nothing but kings and kings, kingdoms and people losing their kingdom and people gaining their kingdom, because God's all about kingdoms. But it's about one kingdom. It's the son of his Jesus Christ, the son, his son Jesus Christ ruling the, on a throne of thrones as king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. So that book can get kind of dull and boring because you're reading a history of kings. But it's all about getting ready for that one king, the true king, Jesus Christ to rule and reign. So you are a son of a king. One day you will be a king, and your king of kings is Jesus Christ. Even though we're kings, the king of king, kings is Jesus Christ. So you are an heir to the kingdom there in verse 7. But this verse 1, look back at verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, 
though he be Lord of all. Guys, the world looks at us and we look like just like anybody else. Christians look like just like anybody else. We look like any other servant of this world. But we're not. The verse says, a child, he differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Guys, we're, we're about to be kings. We're about to help Jesus Christ rule this world. And the world looks at us and is like, we don't look any different. Of course we don't. So this kingship is in the future. Amen. you got to keep this in mind. Very important. Yes, you're a king. Yes, you're a son of a king. Yes, you're an heir to a kingdom. But that is all future. Amen. You don't walk around like you own the kingdom now. You're just like this child. You differ nothing from a servant. You don't have any rule. You don't have any say or anything. But you know that is coming. That, it, that time is coming. Uh, as an as a, as a heir, it's hard right now to tell us apart from the world. As an heir of a king, we're under a lot of scrutiny. And you know this to be true if you look at over in England where they have the, the queen and they have Prince Charles and they have his sons. What do we know? The world loves that. And the world puts them under a microscope. Wherever they go, whoever they marry, whoever they're dating, the world wants to know about it. It's all over the news. Guys, that's you. In your little world, the world you're living in, your family, your friends, your coworkers, anybody that sees you, you're under a microscope because you're an heir to a kingdom. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know this to be true. Because the first thing they're going to tell you is, I thought you went to church. I thought you were a Christian. I didn't think Christians acted that way. I didn't think Christians talked that way. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And they just put you under this little microscope. And the reason why you're under a microscope, because you are an heir of a kingdom. You're a son of a king. One day you will be a king. There's, we, not only does God expect more out of you, the world expects more out of you. Bring it on. Amen? Bring it on. Bring it on. I, I, I want the responsibility because I've got something really great in Jesus Christ. I've got a kingdom. I'm, I'm okay with you staring at me. I'm okay if you put me under a microscope. Bring it on because I want Jesus Christ to be glorified and lifted up in every way. Because if you look at me and say, well, what do you have that I don't have? It's simple. It's Jesus Christ. It's the only thing I have that you don't have. And I'm not anything special. I was adopted, verse 5, into this family. And you can be adopted in this family. Just take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can become a king too. Isn't something special I did? I didn't wake up and say, well, he looks real special. Or he talks real special. Or he's very intelligent. Or there's nothing special about me. The only thing special that makes me a king or an heir of a kingdom is Jesus Christ. That's what verse 7 tells us. Then an heir of God through Christ. That's what we got. And everything you do, uh, brothers and sisters, is going to be magnified a hundredfold. And the world's going to be after you. The devil's going to be after you. So you've got to get ready. As a kingdom, as an heir of a king, as a son of a king, that's what you should expect. But that's okay. Because we're, we're going to get the good stuff at the end. Amen. We got the good stuff at the end. So what, what am I trying to say? As an heir of a king, you should talk a certain way. You should conduct yourself in a certain way. And you should uh, talk a certain way. You should walk a certain way. You should dress a certain way. There's certain ways that a king, an heir of a king, should conduct themselves. Don't you think? If you're going to be the son of a king... Don't you think a son of a king should dress a certain way? It should act, in other words, you should be clean. You should try to, uh, you know, not, you should have a certain way you talk, a certain way you walk, a certain way you conduct yourself. 
Jesus Christ, when he was given the constitution of the millennial kingdom, they call it the Beatitudes. When he's given that on the Mount, Mount, he's telling them, when you do this, when you love your enemies, that's how your heavenly father loves his enemies. And that makes you a child of his. See, in other words, people will associate you with a king. You expect a king to act a certain way because he's in leadership. And if you're going to be the son of a king, you're going to be an heir of a king, you should conduct yourself in a better way. You should, be, you should conduct yourself better than other people conduct themselves. Because you have Holy Spirit in you, and you have Christ in you. You should, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be a better person, be a better friend, be a better employee, be, be whatever it is. And I'm not saying you're better because you're better. It's because Jesus Christ is in you. You get that? It's because Christ is working in you. You've got an advantage. You have Christ, and the world doesn't. That's a great advantage. If you don't know that's an advantage, go to any funeral where there's, not, where the Christ, there's no Christians there. It's a totally different experience. When you're at a funeral with Christians, it, it's a totally different experience than when you go to a funeral that's a, where there's no Christians and there's nobody who's living for the Lord. It's a totally different environment. We're kings. We're going to be kings. We need to conduct ourselves like we're kings. Let me, the second point I want to make to you will find in Romans chapter 8. Turn to the left, Romans chapter 8. We're kings unto God. We're priests unto God. And we need to conduct ourselves as kings and priests. We should, we, we're held to a higher standard. And that's okay. We should be. We got the good stuff. It's not because we're special, but we do have the good stuff. And anybody can get this good stuff. Romans chapter 8. Verse 16, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit in us convinces us and tells us you are a child of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs. There it is, there's the heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We're going to rule and reign with him, joint heirs. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may, all, may be also glorified together. This is where it comes in, that people get it wrong. So the second point you need to know is the cross. Listen to me. If you get, if you get anything out of this message, get this out of this message this morning. The cross always comes before the crown. Amen. The cross always comes before the crown. So many Christians, they get it wrong and they try to put the crown before the cross. They want to rule with Christ. They want to reign with Christ. But, oh, they don't want to suffer with Christ. And that verse right there tells you, if so be, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You want to be glorified with Christ when he's ruling and reigning for a thousand years? You want to be glorified with Christ in the millennial kingdom? You need to be suffering with him. You need to pick up your cross. The cross always comes before the crown. Amen. Now, uh, Ray Comfort has a good illustration to kind of explain this with modern-day Christianity, and it's simply this. His illustration is this. There's an airplane, and an airplane's going along. The airplane would re represent somebody in the world. And uh, somebody's in the world, in this airplane, and they're sitting on the airplane, and you go to them and you say, here's this parachute. And this parachute would represent Jesus Christ. If you'll put this parachute on, your plane trip will be a lot better. It'll, it'll be good for you to put this parachute on. And the person might believe you. And the person will take this parachute or take, take Jesus Christ. And they'll put the parachute on. And they'll put on Jesus Christ. And they'll look around and know there's not a lot of other people wearing the parachute. 
And they lean back, and it's kind of uncomfortable, and it's not making them really comfortable. It's kind of uncomfortable be, to be sitting on that with that parachute on with Jesus Christ on and look around and other people are, and then they have some people are looking at them and pointing at them and making fun of them because they have a parachute on and they're laughing at them and, and they're like well, this is uncomfortable this is suffering I, I don't like to suffer so they take the parachute off they take Jesus Christ off and they kind of throw him down and they don't want to have anything to do with it anymore but if you go to that same person and say listen here's Jesus Christ here's the parachute this plane is going to crash it's going to burn. This plane's going down. But I've got a solution for you. This parachute will save you. And you hand them that parachute and you convince them that they will perish without the parachute. That parachute will be put on and it don't matter how uncomfortable that parachute is. It don't matter how people are pointing at them and laughing at them. They're going to cling on to that parachute for dear life because it's there to save them. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is there to save you. He's not for this world right here necessarily. He's for the world to come. But so many Christians, they don't like the suffering part of it. Because they don't realize what Christ is for. You're suffering with Christ because one day you will get the crown. Amen. So you suffer for him right now. You're getting made fun of. You're getting mocked. You suffer in the flesh. You're like, you fight your flesh. You, you do those things that are unpleasant to your flesh. You, you deny yourself. You do those things because you know one day you're going to bend down and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give you a crown because you bore that cross first. But so many Christians today, they don't understand the kingship and they think the kingship is right now. The kingship is not right now. Your crown is not right, right now. Your cross is right now. Look at 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Let me show you another example of this. 2 Timothy 2. If you're still following along with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me read you some more of this same principle. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. This is the same principle of the, of the crown. Of the, excuse me. The cross before the crown. The cross before the crown. The cross before the crown. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. If we suffer... We shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. You know what the suffering is there in verse 12? It's, it's denying or accepting Christ. You know what suffering is? It's not denying Christ. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a day and age where Christ is about to come back. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. But what does that mean? That means we're about to suffer like Christians have never suffered before. And we're about to be persecuted like we've never been persecuted before. There's going to come a time, brothers and sisters, you might not believe it, there's going to come a time where you're going to be sitting there and your life's going to be on the line and they're going to say, reject Jesus Christ. Deny Him. Deny Jesus Christ. And you've got to make a decision in your heart. Am I going to deny Him or am I going to just accept this? Yeah. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. And, you know, when you've got your kids in the other room and they're saying, if you, if you don't deny Him, we're going to kill your kids. I don't know what to tell you to do. I'm not telling you what I would do. I'm just telling you that I think that's coming. And I can tell you down through history, when the devil got after Christians, true Christians, and they were doing that, there's some true Christians that said, I don't care what you do to me, burn me. And they burned them. And they boiled them, and they drowned them, and they did all kinds of things to them. Your suffering's probably going to come. But your crown's coming too. <laughs> Your crown is coming, but the suffering's coming, and it's associated. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Means 
you say, I don't know Christ, I don't, well, then when you get up into heaven, you're, you're sitting there at the millennial kingdom, he's probably going to deny you of a lot of rewards. He's going to deny you of a lot of things you could have had, a lot of kingships. And we're about to get into that. Look at verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. That's a beautiful verse. You might not realize how beautiful it is. If you say, well, I don't believe anymore, I don't believe, Christ says, I still believe. And I abide as faithful, and I cannot deny myself. Once you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, doctrinally, you're put, baptized into the body of Christ. You're part of his body. So he can't deny himself. And you might, this little finger might say, I'm not part of the body anymore. And Christ said, no, I can't deny my finger. So you have some Christians that say, well, I don't know if I want Christ anymore. He said, you're still here. You're still, I'm still in you. You're still in me. Come back here. He, he, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. We're going to go to the book of Matthew for a little bit. Matthew chapter 16. Let's see what Jesus Christ had to say about this. He had a lot to say about it, actually. Matthew chapter 16, because people don't get it. People just, just don't understand it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. They forget that Jesus Christ was a suffering prophet. Jesus Christ suffered in this world. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we think we're going to become Christians and everything's going to go just wonderful. And it does. And sometimes it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be a Christian. Don't get me wrong. And we have the, the Holy Spirit in us that gives us grace to bear with what we're going through and gives us joy that's unspeakable. But we're going to suffer. And you're going to suffer. Amen. Verse 24, look. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, this is the cross. The cross always comes before the crown. Amen. Deny himself. Tell yourself no. Go places you don't want to go. Make yourself uncomfortable for the Lord. That's good. Deny yourself and take up his cross. Not the cross of Christ. He's not saying take up a physical cross of Christ and carry it around in front of you. He's saying take up your cross. You've got to take this flesh, you've got to crucify it. You've got to deny it. You've got to tell it no. There's going to be times where you're going to say, my body says I want to do this, and you're going to say, God doesn't want me doing that. No. That's a beautiful word to tell yourself. No. Go home, look yourself in the mirror sometime and just say, no. And then look at yourself again and say, no. And see if your flesh don't go, oh, 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 start fighting you. No. I'm going to say it one more time. No. Nobody likes that word. Deny yourself. Take up his own cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow Jesus Christ. He was a man of sorrows. He didn't have a, uh, he didn't have a place to lay his head on. didn't have a pillow to lay his head on. Jesus Christ wasn't a very rich man. Jesus Christ gave away everything he had. Jesus Christ set us, showed us an example how to live it. Today's modern Christianity is, uh, instead of pick up your cross, take up your crosses, pick up your crown, please yourself, and follow me in your Mercedes Benz. That's modern day Christianity right there. That's what modern day Christianity says. Pick up your crown, please yourself, and follow me in your Mercedes Benz. Matthew 19. Let me show you one more, then we'll move on. This all to do with the cross before the crown. Matthew 19, verse 27. This all has to do with the cross before the crown. This is the main subject of kingship. And the kingship is that you're going to suffer. There's a suffering that goes on. Now, guys, some of us are going to suffer more than others. 
Not everybody in here is going to suffer some horrible death or some torture. No, but not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there's a suffering. And don't be surprised if you do suffer a little bit. Don't be surprised. As a matter of fact, be happy because you're suffering for Christ's sake. Amen? You're saying, you know what? I'm, I'm so associated with Jesus Christ, I'm suffering for it. That, that's a good thing. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 27. Matthew 19, look at verse 27. Here's Christ again talking to Peter. Now this is now we're getting close to what we're talking about here. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Oh, there's Peter. That's me and you. Lord, I've forsaken all and I'm following you. What do I get? What's in it for me? Amen. That's why I love Peter so much because he's just like all of us. At least he's just like me. Hey, Lord, I did all this. Now what are you going to give me? Verse 28, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. Let's stop there. That's that regeneration is what you're looking at behind me on this mural. That regeneration is the Jesus Christ, the millennial kingdom, the lions laying down with the lamb, all the stuff that we talk about, that's the regeneration of the earth. And I'm going to preach on that sometime. The regeneration, because the regeneration of mankind, of the earth, and of animal kind, all that's regenerated, and the Bible has a lot of verses to talk about it. But he says, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. Where's the throne of his glory? That's in Jerusalem. That's a physical throne. Ye also, look at the middle of verse 28, end of verse 28, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So each one of those disciples are going to get to sit on twelve thrones. Each one ruling and reigning over the tribes of Israel. Well, who's going to rule and reign over the Gentiles? I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you right now. Look at verse 29. And everyone, everyone, and everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Wow, that's what's waiting for a lot of y'all. A lot of y'all have forsaken friends. Sometimes, not when you say forsaken, God, Jesus Christ is not talking about being mean to them or denying them or denying your children. That's not what the Lord's talking about. The Lord's saying you've done things that you you've done things for Jesus Christ that has gotten in the way of other things. You might have put your spouse to the side so you could go to church. You've done something else. You, you've, forsake, you've done something that you said, you know, instead of this, I'm going to do Jesus Christ. Amen. He said, you'll receive a hundredfold. And that's coming. Verse 30, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. There's a lot of rich Christians running around on this earth. There's a lot of Christians that are flashing the gold rings and doing all that. And, woo, look how rich. And I'm not saying they're not saved. But wait till we get up into heaven. And Jesus Christ tells them, hey, you go get to the back. That dear saint back there, that dear, uh, that dear saint, bring her up here to the front. The one that always sat at the back of the church and nobody talked to, bring her up here. You know what she did for me? And the half of us don't know. But the Lord knows. Amen. The Lord keeps that. He keeps an account, guys. So you, your wife might know, your wife or spouse might not know about it. Your friends might not know about it. But Jesus Christ knows about it. And he's keeping an account. And one day, he's going to make sure you're given what you need. And he's going to reward you. He will. I really believe that. The Lord's not slacking that. 
And what, let me tell you something. As a, as a minister of the Word of God, as someone who served Jesus Christ, I call Jesus Christ my boss. Because I feel like I'm, you know, when I went to the funeral, that, I was being, that's what I'm doing what I think the Lord wanted me to do. I, I'm, I, he's my boss. Amen. He's the best boss you could serve. Amen. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He, he's, I praise his name for the life he gives me. It's an abundant life. It's, a, it's abundant. Now look at Luke chapter 19 in closing. Luke chapter 19. Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Jesus Christ specifically gets into what it's going to be like for some of us up there. Luke chapter 19 verse 11. So there's something that every Christian needs to know. You're a king. You're heir to a king. One day you will be a king. And you've got an attribute that God wants you to use, which is called faithfulness. So the main attribute for every heir of a kingdom, every son of a king, every attribute every Christian should have is a simple attribute called faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is God gives you something and be faithful with it. Whatever God's given you. It might be a talent. It might be a, an ability to talk. It might be an ability to, to, uh, to witness to somebody. It might be a, just an ability. To, God, God knows. Only you know. And it don't have to be a big thing. A lot of times it's not a very big thing. Sometimes these abilities are so small. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the best ability a person can have is availability. It's just being there when God says, I need you. And you say, okay, I'm there. I'm going to put my wife or my husband to the side. I'll go ahead and do what you want me to do, Lord. I need you. And I can't tell you, it's not an audible voice, but you, 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 you've been a Christian for very long. You, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's, it's just a still, small voice, and it's something like you've got to do something. It's something you just feel like you've got to do. Either you've got to go help somebody out or take them a, a dish of food or you've got to give them a $20 bill or go f- help them fix their car. I can't. There's all kinds of million examples of all this stuff, but it's just that one little, and God says, I, I need you, and I, I want you to be faithful to my calling. And he talks about this, and, re- and, and look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11, and as they heard these sayings, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. See, they thought, okay, Jesus is king. He's coming in right now. Here we go. And it wasn't going to be that way. It was going to be at least 2,000 years before Christ came and started ruling and reigning. But they knew he was the Messiah. They knew he should be king. So that's why they were, he, he told this parable right here. So he's going to explain what's going to happen. Verse 12, he said, therefore... A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. Now that nobleman is Jesus Christ in this story. He goes to heaven. He's going to get the kingdom. He's going to come back. Look at verse 13. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Jesus Christ has went away. He's went away to build those mansions. He's getting the kingdom ready. He's going to bring it back down here to earth. And he tells me and you, Occupy. You're going to be suffering a little bit. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, occupy for me, and when I come, I'll give you a crown. Amen. Occupy till I come. And he, but he gives you, each one of us the same amount. Right? Amen. Okay, let's look at it again. Uh, he should, uh, and he delivered them, he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. Every servant got each one a pound. So when you think you've got some better ability than somebody, you really don't. We all have the same ability, and God looks at it the same. It's not quantity, it's quality with the Lord God. 
It's not quantity. It's not how many people did you get saved? How many people are in the church? How many, how, how many gospel tracts you got out? How many? It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Amen. Quality. You can have a million zirconia. What do you call those fake diamonds? Cubic zirconians? Zirconia. Zirconia. I knew there was close. Zirconia. You can have a million of those. That, that, that is, that's nothing compared to one real diamond. It's not about quantity, it's about quality Amen. with the Lord God. So he tells them, occupy till I come. In other words, keep, 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 the, keep the fort. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him. That would be the Jews, hated Jesus Christ, and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. That's exactly what they did, isn't it? At the, at, at the trial, Pilate, and they said, we have no king but Caesar. They didn't want Jesus as king. That's exactly, that's a prophecy right there. That's exactly what happened. Verse 15, and it came to pass that when he was returned, Jesus Christ comes back, having received the kingdom, the millennial kingdom comes in, then he commanded these, these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. God expects you to gain something. Every one of us got our portion of the Holy Spirit. Everybody in here has the Holy Spirit. And he expects you to do something with that. Amen. To gain something with that. <clears throat> Verse 16. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. So the Lord says, the guy, servant comes in and goes, you, that one pound you gave me, I've turned it into ten. I've been doing something for you, Lord. And the Lord says, you've been faithful over that little bit, now I'm going to let you rule over ten cities. That's a king. See that kingship going on there? The second came, verse 18. The second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another guy comes, gives it five pounds, says, I gained this much. He says, be you over five cities. So you see, the principle in the Bible is we're all saved, but we're not all going to get the same rewards. He, you know, if a person's working more and doing more for the Lord, the Lord's probably going to give them more rewards. Verse uh, uh, 20, And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Austere means hard or harsh. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that that thou didst not sow. He said, Lord, I didn't do anything with it. I was scared of you, and I just had this little pound. So what I did is I kind of hid it away, and I just buried it. I didn't do nothing with it because I know you're hard, and I know you're a hard man. That's what he's saying to Jesus Christ. Now, listen to what Jesus Christ says, verse 22. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Let me, let me stop there. If I can give you any good advice this morning, watch what you say. Watch what you say about God and Jesus Christ. In other words, it's really good to say, Jesus Christ is full of grace. Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sins. Jesus Christ will love you and love on you and give you all the grace you need. You know what God says? That's how you feel about me. That's how I'm going to be to you. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you all the love you need. But if you're the kind of person, God's mean, God doesn't want to have a thing, God is harsh, God just is, and God says, I'll judge you out of your own mouth. You think I'm that way? Well, that's the way I'm going to be towards you. That, that's God's character. God is not an ATM. God is not some 
non-character. He's not just some pie-in-the-sky idea. God has a personality. And when you approach God, you need to butter him up. <laughs> butter him up. It works. Flattering. He loves to be glorified. You're the great God. You're a wonderful God. You're an amazing creator. He loves that stuff. It's all through his word. He loves it. There's nothing wrong with that. Flatter him. Butter him up. It's, you're going to be judged out of your own mouth. You might as well say really, really good stuff about him. Right? Amen. He said, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. He's basically saying, if you're not going to do anything for me, you could have at least done something to help somebody else out. Put it away to, where somebody else could use it. And, and do something with it. You can apply that however you want to apply that. There's a million ways to apply that. I'll let the Lord speak to your heart about what that might be. Verse 24, And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. Wow. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto everyone that hath, which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. So he says, see that guy, with he's ruling over those ten cities? We'll take the ones he was going to rule over and give them to him. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. If you can be faithful down here with a little bit, God's going to give you a lot. Just be faithful. Say, well, Brother Keegan, I just got a little bit. Be faithful with your little bit. But I don't do much for the Lord. Well, be just faithful with a little bit. Amen. Just do a little bit. God will reward you. He'll reward you more. He already promised a hundredfold if you're going to give up something for him. Just a little bit. Can you imagine how much God could do for you if he sees that you do something for him? He's going to love you. He's going to take care of you. But if you don't want to do nothing for him and you think, I'm just going to get saved, it's, salvation is basically fire insurance to you, I don't have to go to hell now, and I'm just going to sit back and live in the flesh and not do anything for God, don't get to heaven and be surprised when all your loved ones that were at church and were trying to serve Christ have all these rewards, have all these crowns, and you're sitting over there with just rags, looking around. Here's your broom. Now, I know it's real, I know I like to say it, you know, I just, I'd, I'd, I'd love to just be a, a, a floor sweeper in heaven. I'm okay with that. But in truthfully, truthfully, when I get to heaven, I want to have a crown to throw at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to have a mop or a broom. Lord, I didn't do nothing for you. I don't have nothing to give you. I want to say, Lord, see all this, I, I did this, I did it for you. I just want to give it to you. Casting that crown at his feet. Verse 27, but those mine enemies, those that don't know Jesus Christ, which will not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. That's the millennial kingdom right there. All those kings that wouldn't have anything to do with Jesus Christ, the battle of Armageddon, boy, he comes in there and he wipes them out. Guys, you're not only priests unto God, you're kings, but your kingdom is coming. And I can't encourage you enough to do something for the Lord, and what little bit it is, just do something for the Lord. There's so many things you could be doing for the Lord, and sometimes it's just simply saying, you know what, Lord, I'm not a very good reader, I have trouble reading, but I'm just going to try to read your word, try to read your book, or whatever it is. You know what it is. I, I don't, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to leave that up between you and God, because it is between you and God. I'm not judging you. I promise you, I'm not saying this person, I don't have a list like, okay, this person's not doing that, and that person's not doing this. Do you know that I don't even know who tithes to this church and who doesn't? I don't want to know. 
And whenever Sister Linda went out, that's the first thing I was worried about. I said, I don't want nothing to do with the money. I don't want to have to count the money. I want... So we had other people taking care of all that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to know. That's between you and God. Amen. What you're doing. But I'm telling you, you will answer. I'm going to answer and you're going to answer. Amen. And what... Praise God, we're going to answer to a loving, graceful, merciful Jesus Christ that understands when you're, where your faults are, understands that you had a problem, understands all this stuff. But you will answer. You will answer. And you will be a king someday, and you will get a crown after the cross. After the cross. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray to you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord God, that there's somebody needs to sound in my voice, Lord, yeah, that, that doesn't understand this kingship, this priesthood, Lord God, Father, that doesn't even know where they're going to, if they were to die tonight, Lord God, if they'd go to heaven, Father. I pray, Lord God, you speak to the heart right now, Lord. Let them know that they need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash them of their sins, Lord God, to redeem them, Lord. But it is available to them. All they have to do is receive it. All they have to do is take it, Lord. And Father, I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy, Lord. And I thank you, Lord. I know you as being loving and kind and merciful and graceful, Lord. I don't know you as being austere or hard, Father, but that's because you've always been good to me. And I don't know why you've always been good to me, Lord, but you have. And I do thank you for that, Lord. You've been good to my church. You've been good to, the, to all my church family, my friends, my family, uh, everything. You've been so good to everybody I know, Lord. I don't know you in any way but just being loving and kind. And, Lord, I know that if somebody doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior and they, they walk down this aisle or if they bow their head in prayer to you, Lord God, they will be saved. You will save them, Lord. And I thank you for that assurance. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, that's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. 
You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.